Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Monday, November 20th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there, over uh, 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all approached from a biblical worldview. Uh, My brothers and sisters in Christ uh, Christ over there doing great, great work. Uh, I will guarantee you, if you get over there, you're going to find something you want to listen to. And there's a real good possibility you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. So again, real good problem to have. So again, please go on over there. I also want to continue to point you at the next to last link in our show notes. It is for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school to provide a trustworthy alternative here within our community. So go ahead and click on the link. Pastor Jay has provided a very thorough description of what we're trying to do. And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us, and we'd ask you to pass the link along so that others can do the same. All right. Well, it is Monday. We are in a new week, so we're going to be continuing on like we usually do with our reading, Um, but we're going to be getting back into our study of John chapter 15. Uh, We'll be wrapping up, or actually, I don't think it's wrapping up. I think we're just, I'm trying to remember how this sorted out. Okay, no, we're in a new section here. This is a section in John 15, so this is still in the uh, sermon, or uh, the, uh, sorry, upper room discourse, what they call the upper room discourse, Jesus' private ministry to the disciples. Um, But this is a new section um, called Hated by the World, Hated by the World. So we'll dig into that for the evening segment. I also want to say happy birthday to my grandson, Rodney IV. He is two he is too wonderful to your old young man, and I love him so much. Um, all right, well, let's go ahead and let's dive in. We're going to go ahead and open up with our morning prayer. It's called the Second Day Morning Prayer. The title is God Over All. Let's pray. O God, all-sufficient, thou hast made and upholdest all things by the word of thy power. Darkness is thy pavilion. Thou walkest on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before thee. One generation succeeds another, and we hasten back to the dust. The heavens we behold will vanish away, like the clouds that cover them. The earth we tread on will dissolve, as a morning dream. But thou, unchangeable and incorruptible, art forever and ever, God over all, blessed eternally, infinitely great and glorious art thou. We are thy offspring in thy care, thy hands have made and fashioned us. Thou hast watched over us with more than parental love, more than maternal tenderness. Thou hast holden our soul in life, and not suffered our feet to be moved. 
Thy divine power has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. Let us bless thee at all times, and forget not how thou hast forgiven our iniquities, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives from destruction, crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfied our mouths with good things, renewed our youth like the eagles. May thy holy scriptures govern every part of our lives, and regulate the discharge of all our duties, so that we may adorn thy doctrine in all things. Amen. All right. Well, our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, uh, we're, our text for it is from Lamentations 358. O Lord, thou hast pleaded the case, causes of my soul. Sorry, thou hast pleaded the causes of my soul. Observe how positively the prophet speaks. He doth not say, I hope, I trust, I sometimes think that God hath pleaded the causes of my soul, but he speaks of it as a matter of fact, not to be disputed. Thou hast pleaded the causes of my soul. Let us, by the aid of the gracious Comforter, shake off those doubts and fears which so much mar our peace and comfort. Be this our prayer, that we may have done with the harsh croaking voice of surmise and suspicion, and may be able to speak with the clear melodious voice of full assurance. Notice how gratefully the prophet speaks, ascribing all the glory to God alone. You perceive there is not a word concerning him, or his own pleadings. He doth not ascribe his deliverance in any measure to any man, much less to his own merit. But it is thou, O Lord, thou hast pleaded the causes of my soul, thou hast redeemed my life. A grateful spirit should ever be cultivated by the Christian, and especially after deliverances, we should prepare a song for our God. Earth should be a temple filled with the songs of grateful saints, and every day should be a censer smoking with the sweet incense of thanksgiving. How joyful Jeremiah seems to be while he records the Lord's mercy. How triumphantly he lifts up the strain. He has been in the low dungeon, and is even now no other than this weeping prophet. And yet in the very book which, it's call, which is called Lamentations, clear is the song of Miriam when she dashed her fingers against the tabor, shrill is the note of Deborah when she met Barak with shouts of victory. We hear the voice of Jeremy going, going up to heaven. Thou hast pleaded the causes of my soul. Thou hast redeemed my life. O children of God, seek after a vital experience of the Lord's loving kindness. And when you have it, speak positively of it. Sing gratefully. Shout triumphantly. All right. Well, our reading for today is going to be in... Let's see. Ezekiel 40, verse 28, Ezekiel 41, James 4, um, Psalm, well, I'm uh, sorry, it's Ezekiel 40, verse 28 through Ezekiel 41, James 4, Psalm 118, verses 19 through 29, that finishes up that Psalm, and Proverbs 28, verses 3 through 5. So Ezekiel 40, starting in verse 28. Then he brought me to the inner court by the south gate. And he measured the south gate according to those same measurements. Its guard rooms also, its side pillars, and its porches were according to those same measurements. And the gate and its porches had windows all around. It was fifty cubits long and twenty-five cubits wide. 
there were porches all around, 25 cubits long and five cubits and five cubits wide. Its porches were toward the outer court, and palm trees' ornaments were on its side pillars, and its stairway had eight steps. Then he brought me into the inner court toward the east, and he measured the gate according to those same measurements. Its guard rooms also, its side pillars, and its porches were according to those same measurements, and the gate and its porches had windows all around. It was fifty cubits long and twenty-five cubits wide. Its porches were towards the outer court, and palm tree ornaments were on its side pillars on each side, and its stairway had eight steps. Then he brought me to the north gate, and he measured it according to those same measurements, with its guard rooms, its side pillars, and its porches, and the gate had windows all around, the length was fifty cubits, and the width twenty-five cubits. Its side pillars were toward the outer court, and palm tree ornaments were on its side pillars on each side, and its stairway had eight steps. A chamber with its doorway was by the side pillar at the gates. There they rent the burnt offerings. In the porch of the gate were two tables on each side on which to slaughter the burnt offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. On the outer side, as one went up to the entrance of the gate toward the north, were two tables, and on the other side of the porch of the gate were two tables. Four tables were on each side next to the gate, or eight tables on which they slaughtered sacrifice, slaughter sacrifices. For the burnt offering, there were four tables of cut stone, a cubit and a half long, a cubit and a half wide, and one cubit high, on which they lay the instruments with which they slaughter the burnt offering and the sacrifice. The double hooks, one hand's breadth in length, were installed in the house all around, and on the tables was the, fresh, was the flesh of the offering. From the outside to the inner gate were chambers for the singers in the inner court, one of which was at the side of the north gate with its front toward the south, and one at the side of the south gate facing towards the north. Then he said to me, This is the chamber which faces toward the south, intended for the priests who keep the responsibility of the house. But the chamber which faces toward the north is for the priest who keeps the responsibility of the altar. These are the sons of Zadok, who from the sons of Levi come near to Yahweh to minister to him. He measured the court a perfect square, one hundred cubits long and one hundred cubits wide, and the altar was in front of the house. Then he brought me to the porch of the house and measured each side pillar of the porch, five cubits on each side, and the width of the gate was three cubits on each side. The length of the porch was twenty cubits, and the width eleven cubits, and at the stairway by which it was ascended were columns belonging to the side pillars, one on each side. Ezekiel 41 Then he brought me to the nave and measured the side pillars. Six cubits wide on each side was the width of the side pillar. The width of the entrance was ten cubits, and the sides of the entrance were five cubits on each side and he measured the length of the nave forty cubits, and the width twenty cubits. Then he went inside and measured each side pillar of the doorway two cubits, and the doorway six cubits high, and the width of the doorway seven cubits. He measured its length twenty cubits, and the width twenty cubits, before the nave, and he said to me, This is the Holy of Holies. Then he measured the wall of the house of Yahweh six cubits, and the width of the side chambers four cubits, all around about the house on every side. The side chambers were in three stories, one above another, and thirty in each story, and the side chambers extended to the wall which stood on their inward side all around. 
that they might be fastened and not be fastened into the wall of the house itself. The side chambers surrounding the house were wider at each successive story because the structure surrounding the house went upward by stages on all sides of the house. Therefore the width of the house increased as it went higher, and thus one went up from the lowest story to the highest by way of the second story. I saw also that the house had a raised platform all around. The foundations of the side chambers were a full rod of six long cubits in height. The thickness of the outer wall of the side chambers was five cubits, but the free space between the side chambers belonging to the house and the outer chambers was twenty cubits in which all around the house on every side. I'm sorry, in width all around the house on every side. The doorways of the side chambers toward the free space consisted of one doorway toward the north and another doorway toward the south, and the width of the place of the free space was five cubits all around. The building that was in front of the separate area at the side toward the west was seventy cubits wide, and the wall of the building was five cubits thick all around, and its length was ninety cubits. Then he measured the house one hundred cubits long. The separate area with the building and its walls were also one hundred cubits long. Also the width of the front of the house and that of the separate areas along the east side totaled one hundred cubits. He measured the length of the building along the front of the separate area behind it, with a gallery on each side, 100 cubits, along with the inner nave and the porches of the court. The thresholds, the latticed windows, and the galleries round about their three stories, opposite the threshold, were paneled with wood all around, and from the ground to the windows, but the windows were covered. Over the entrance and to the inner house, and on the outside and on all the wall all around, inside and outside, by measurement. It was carved with cherubim and palm trees, and a palm tree was between cherub and cherub, and every cherub had two faces, a man's face toward the palm tree on one side, and a young lion's face toward the palm tree on the other side. They were carved on all the house all around. From the ground to above the entrance, cherubim and palm trees were carved, as well as on the wall of the nave. The doorposts of the nave were square, as for the front of the sanctuary. The appearance of one doorpost was like that of the other. The altar was of wood, three cubits high, and its length two cubits. Its corners, its base, and its sides were of wood. And he said to me, This is the table that is before Yahweh. The nave and the sanctuary each had a double door. Each of the doors had two leaves, two swinging leaves, two leaves for one door, and two leaves for the other. Also there were carved on them, on the doors of the nave, nave, cherubim and palm trees like those carved on the walls and there was a canopy of wood over the front of the porch outside there were latticed windows and palm trees on one side and on the other on the side of the porch thus were the side chambers of the house and the canopies all right hmm sorry that didn't tab right james four what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world sets himself as an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. 
but he gives he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Be subject, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and cry. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not slander one another, brothers. He who slanders a brother um, brother, or judges his brother slanders the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows to do the right thing and does not do it, to him it is sin. All right. Psalm 118, verses 19 through 29. So we're going to finish this psalm. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to Yah. This is the gate of Yahweh. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is from Yahweh. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which Yahweh has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Yahweh, save. O Yahweh, succeed. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of Yahweh. We have blessed you from the house of Yahweh. Yahweh is God, and he has given us light. Bind the, um, bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I give thanks to you. You are my God, I exalt you. Give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his loving kindness endures forever. All right, and Proverbs 27, finally, Proverbs 27. Why is that 27? Wow, sorry, my link is wrong here. Let me move it. Proverbs 28, there we go. Verses 3 through 5. <laughs> sorry, now we got the right verses. A poor man who oppresses the lowly is a driving rain which leaves no food. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive with them. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek Yahweh understand all things. All right, well, that is our reading for today. I thank you for spending this time with me. I hope you have yourself a wonderful, wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Um, let's go ahead and close out with prayer. The prayer we're going to close out with is called Peril, Peril from Valley of Vision. Let's pray. Sovereign Commander of the Universe, I am sadly harassed by doubts, fears, unbelief, and a felt spiritual darkness. My heart is full of evil surmisings and disquietude, and I cannot act faith at and I cannot act faith at all. My heavenly pilot has disappeared, and I have lost my hold on the rock of ages. I sink in deep mire beneath storms and waves, in horror and distress unutterable. Help me, O Lord, to throw myself absolutely and wholly on thee, for better, for worse, without comfort and all but hopeless. Give me peace of soul, confidence, enlargement of mind, morning joy that comes after night heaviness. 
water my soul richly with divine blessings. Grant that I may welcome thy humbling in private, so that I might enjoy thee in public. Give me a mountaintop as high as the valley is low. Thy grace can melt the worst sinners, the worst sinner, and I am as vile as he. Yet thou hast made me a monument of mercy, a trophy of redeeming power. In my distress, let me not forget this. All wise God, thy never-failing providence orders every event, sweetens every fear, reveals evil's presence lurking in seeming good, brings real good out of seeming evil, makes unsatisfactory what I set my heart upon, to show me what a short-sighted creature I am, and to teach me to live by faith upon thy blessed self. Out of my sorrow and, and night, give me the name Naphtali, satisfied with favor. Help me to love thee as thy child, and to walk worthy of my heavenly pedigree. Amen. All right, well, again, thank you for spending this time this morning with me. Again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Monday, November 20th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, we're going to be getting into our back into our Bible study of the Gospel of John and John 15. Let's go ahead and jump on into it and open up in prayer. We're going to be opening up with one called The Spirit's Work, The Spirit's Work. Let's pray. O God, the Holy Spirit, thou who dost proceed from the Father and the Son, have mercy on me. When thou didst first hover over chaos, order came to birth. Beauty robed the world, fruitfulness sprang forth. Move, I pray thee, upon my disordered heart. Take away the infirmities of unruly desires and hateful lusts. Lift the mists and darkness of unbelief. Brighten my soul with the pure light of truth. Make it fragrant as the garden of paradise, rich with every goodly fruit, beautiful with heavenly grace, radiant with rays of divine light. Fulfill in me the glory of thy divine offices. Be my comforter, light, guide, sanctifier. Take of the things of Christ and show them to my soul. Through thee may I daily learn more of his love, grace, compassion, faithfulness, beauty. Lead me to the cross and show me his wounds the hateful nature of evil, the power of Satan. May I there see my sins as the nails that transfixed him, the cords that bound him, the thorns that tore him, the sword that pierced him. Help me to find in his death the reality and immensity of his love. Open for me the wondrous volumes of truth in his it is finished. Increase my faith, I'm sorry, increase my faith in the clear knowledge of atonement achieved, expiation completed, satisfaction made, guilt done away, my debt paid, my sins forgiven, my person redeemed, my soul saved, hell vanquished, heaven opened, eternity made mine. O Holy Spirit, deepen in me these saving lessons, write them upon my heart, that my walk be sin-loathing, sin-fleeing, Christ-loving, and suffer no devil's device to beguile or deceive me. All right, well, our evening devotion for uh, November 20th from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening um, from Proverbs 30, verse 26 is the text. The conies are but a feeble folk, yet make their, make, 
sorry, yet make they their houses in the rocks. Conscious of their own natural defenselessness, the conies resort, resort to burrows in the rocks and are secure from their enemies. My heart be willing to gather a lesson from these feeble folk. Thou art as weak and as exposed to peril as the timid coney. Be as wise to seek a shelter. My best security is within the munitions of an immutable Jehovah, where his unalterable promises stand like giant walls of rock. It will be well with thee, my heart, if thou canst always hide thyself in the bulwarks of his glorious attributes, all of which are guarantees of safety for those who put their trust in him. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I have so done, and have found myself like David in Adullam, safe from the cruelty of my enemy. I have not now to find out the blessedness of the man, I'm sorry, of the man who puts his trust in the Lord. For long ago, when Satan and my sins pursued me, I fled to the cleft of the rock, Christ Jesus, and in his riven side I found a delightful resting place. My heart run to him anew tonight. Whatever thy present grief may be, Jesus feels for thee. Jesus consoles thee. Jesus will help thee. No monarch in his impregnable fortress is more secure than the coney in his rocky burrow. The master of ten thousand chariots is not one whit better protected than the little dweller in the mountain's cleft. In Jesus the weak are strong, and the defenseless safe. They could not be more strong if they were giants, or more safe if they were in heaven. Faith gives to men on earth the protection of the God of heaven. More they cannot need, and need not wish. The conies cannot build a castle, but they avail themselves of what is there already. I cannot make myself a refuge, but Jesus has provided it, his Father has given it, his Spirit has revealed it, and lo, again tonight I enter it, and am safe from every foe. Okay, just to clarify for you, conies are rabbits. Um, they may be a specific type of rabbit or bunny, but they're rabbits. Okay, that's that's what he's speaking of there. Um, and sad fact is, you'd know that if you'd watched Lord of the Rings, because Sam talks about them. But I actually knew that before that. But yeah, conies are rabbits or hares. Or, or bunnies, they're something like that, but that's what he's talking about there, of them being safe in the clefts of the rock. All right, well, like I said, we're getting into, and we're closing in on the end. We're going we're gonna to get close to the end of John 15 this week, God willing, um, but we're moving into a new section, um, and we're looking at hated by the world again, you know, we've, we've been watching Jesus dealing with the disciples and dealing with the fact, um, for these 12, that their faith is struggling. Um, and he's trying to firm them up. He's trying to, to strengthen their faith and prepare it for the fact that he is about to be arrested. I mean, and it's gonna, you know, even more as we've talked about how, how their world has kind of come tumbling down because this guy they thought was going to be their worldly King, because they misunderstand what, what the, the Messiah means overall, they're thinking more worldly than spiritual. Um, so, so they're confused. And so they feel like their world's falling apart. It's not really actually, it's becoming better because as Jesus goes, the Holy Spirit's going to come and they're going to be so, so much more strengthened than when Jesus was there. Now, Jesus had a part to play in teaching them and showing them and making clear he's the Messiah, but then he needs to go away. So the Holy Spirit can come in and dwell them and empower them 
to go do the work of the ministry to spread the gospel to the to the to the Gentile world. I mean, without that, this goes nowhere. And and this was not something Jesus wasn't indwelling them. Yes, he does indwell us now. I mean, the triune God indwells us now. But again, it it was not the same thing. He needed to go. I mean, there there God has a plan and it takes place and and all parts of the Godhead have their portion in this. So this has to happen. So he's been trying to strengthen them. Um, and we've, we've talked about, you know, he, he went through John 14, trying to, trying to lift them up. And then we've gone through 15 here talking about the vine and the branches. And again, he's still, as much as he's trying to instruct them, because again, this is, like I said, this is his private ministry with just the disciples. The public ministry ended, I think it was in John 12. And this has been the private ministry. This has been up in the upper room here during this final meal, this, this preparation for Passover and all this. And, you know, he's been trying to instruct them. So again, you know, we saw this talking about the vine and the branches and the vine and the vine dresser and all of that. And then we've talked about the friends of Jesus and what those characteristics of the friends of Jesus are. Well, so now we, we see a contrast. We've talked about the friends of Jesus and what those friends look like, that they love each other, that they obey Christ and that they know that they know divine truth and that they have been specially chosen by him. Okay, well, we're going to see something very, very different now. And we're getting into a section that, that by the, by the theologian, the, the, the scholar that I, that I use his commentaries and kind of to format these things, we're coming into a section that he calls, and I agree with him, hated by the world. And this shouldn't be a surprise to you. This shouldn't be a surprise to you. There's places all throughout scripture where it makes very, very clear that, that we are not to be loved by the world. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying we try to be in a direct fight with the world, but our focus is to be loved by God and to be obedient to him. And that's going to automatically put us at enmity with the world. So I'm going to go ahead and read. Uh, it's John 15. We're going to read verse 17 through verse 25. So hear the word of the Lord. This I command you that you love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sent, not have sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sin, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But this happened to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without cause. So, Again, I, I mean, that makes very, very clear that hated by the world, that Jesus was hated by the world. And because we are his adopted brothers and sisters, we are the body of Christ. We are going to be hated by this world. This should not be a surprise to you, nor should it terrify you. It's, it's something we have to be aware of. But the fact is, as um, Spurgeon spoke of in, the, in, that, um, in our evening devotion, 
You know, the Coney's not able to be, believe the rabbit is not able to build its own castle or whatever else, but he, it's totally secure in what's provided, the, the cleft of the rock. Well, we're totally secure in Christ. We don't need to build other protection. We're secure in Christ. We're secure in God. Okay? So we don't need to be afraid of that, but we need to be aware of it. We can't be surprised by that. And we need to be concerned by those who profess to be Christians but are not hated by this world, but are loved by the world because that's not what God said would happen. That's not what Christ said would happen. That's not what is shown throughout the thousands of years covered by the Bible. Okay. So let's be clear. The invisible church, that's a term that is used by those who have come to a saving faith, past, present, and future, have been persecuted throughout the history of the church. Jesus himself was persecuted by the religious elite of the Israelites, the very ones who should have welcomed him on their knees. They, they, were, they were supposed to be the most scholarly, the most informed, the most understanding of those who studied the Old Testament, the, the law and the what they called the law and the prophets. They should, they were the most knowledgeable or were supposed to be. So they should have known who Jesus was better than anybody else. But they persecuted him. They persecuted him. They denied him. Christians were constantly attacked during the Roman empire, particularly during Nero's reign, but he wasn't the only one. Believe me, all the way up through Domitian and all of them. Um, and, 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 and not even just during Nero's, Nero's reign, but at his behest in a number of instances. Um, he turned Christians in, into torches in the streets. I'm not kidding you. And I forget, I was thinking they soaked them in tar, but maybe they, they did it in some kind of oil or something like that. But then they would mount them on posts in the streets and light them up. I'm not kidding you. That, that sounds horrific, but they really would. They really would. And the fact is the death of the apostle Paul, when he was finally beheaded in his final imprisonment, that was due to the persecution of Nero. That's not because Paul did anything different. That was due to the persecution of Nero. Um, but it went on, it went on through the Roman empire. Um, it went on up until the time where Constantine originally, when Constantine came to power, he was co-ruler and there was still some going on you know, pushed by the other ruler. And I didn't bother to write the name down. It really doesn't matter specifically. But when Constantine became the sole ruler, he was the first one to, to put forward law that allowed worship of whatever you wanted to worship. But the problem is, and, and I'm sorry, this is gonna, this is gonna upset folks, but the persecution was then picked up by the Roman Catholic church. It was picked up by the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, I'm sorry. We have to go back through the interregnum there. Um, go back through, um, well, anyways, there's any number, and I, I, I've gone blank on the names of some of this stuff. But, but there were, there were, there were um, inquisitors sent out by the Roman Catholic Church that, was, that were murdering people as heretics because they differed from Catholic, Roman Catholic doctrine. Doesn't mean they were heretics. These were still professed believers. And in a lot of cases, they really weren't heretics, but it didn't matter. They were, they were, they were hunting for people to put to death. 
Um, and actually what I, what I found in my research, there's a Roman Catholic source out there that has estimated that in all of church history, roughly 70 million Christians have been killed for their profession of faith with two thirds of those occurring since the beginning of the 20th century. Now this is not, I'm not trying to, to, um, relate that, that Roman Catholics have killed that many of others. No, it's just, they, they've done that research and have that source that 70 million Christians have been killed for their profession of faith with two thirds of that having occurred since 1901 since the beginning of, of, or since 1900, since the beginning of the 20th century. And one journalist was actually cited as estimating, and it was probably, these are probably low estimates, that 100,000 Christians have been killed every year since 1990. So we've got to understand that the world hates us. We really do, and I'm sorry, I'm going to need some water here. But but we can't sit there and and be surprised that the world hates us. So our verses for today, and it's this a little weird breakdown. It's not an even breakdown. We're going to deal with the first half of verse 18 and then verse 19 today. So what we're looking at today is that the world rejects those who are not part of it. So verse 18a, if the world hates you, and then verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. So the world here, that use of the word world here, is speaking of the evil world system led by Satan. And again, let me be clear. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. There is no other option. I mean, people will be out there and go, well, I'm not of Satan. Well, if you're not of God, then you're of Satan. There, there's not another option. You don't get to choose another option. I, I, I'm sorry. That's That's just how that is. Um, we are either of Christ or we're of Belial. We're of Christ or we're of, of the devil. Um, Proverbs twenty nine twenty seven, An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, and he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. The world is a wicked system, and we, are, we who are draped in Christ's righteousness and are striving to walk the worthy walk of Ephesians, we are an abomination to this world. We are so different from this world. We, we, don't, we don't relate to this world. We are alien to them. We are alien to them. Just, just like um, when we speak of, when Paul speaks of the, the righteousness, and of course, this is, it's kind of cool that this was the realization of this is what brought Martin Luther to a true saving faith and thus began, you know, the, the reformation was the realization that the righteousness that was necessary for someone to be saved was an alien righteousness, a righteousness that wasn't of that person. Well, in this case, we who are saved are alien to this world. We are, we, we are alien to this world. They don't understand us. They don't know us. They don't. And, and I'm not, I'm not saying that to say they're terrible. I mean, to put them down. I mean, we know they are, they, they, they are sinful by nature as we were, um, and, and still are. And that's the Holy spirit that has given us a new heart and regenerated us that turns us from that. So it's something that alien that changes us. 
But again, that that makes us alien to this world. Um, Philippians 2.15, so that you will be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Again, they don't like us. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Verse 19 again, but because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world because of this, the world hates you. They hate us and they hate us because we shine a light into the darkness of this world. Ephesians 5.11 And do not participate in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead even expose them. That's the thing. Um, you, you see that in Ephesians 4 and 5. Um, one of the walks. So so again, Ephesians 4 through 6 is about the worthy walk. That walk that, that the body of Christ should have. That walk, that, that life practice that the Christian should, should exhibit. And so it goes through talking about these different walks and it's, and it's the unified walk and the non Gentile walk that meaning the no longer sinful walk. And then you, you get, um, the, the, the walk of wisdom, the walk of spirit, but the walk of light. And that's the thing we are to be light in this world, but if we are light in this world, I mean, I'm sorry, the first we, we went over it when we came through John one. It's very, very clear that light came into the world and man wanted to turn from it because they love their darkness. That's this world. This world loves its darkness. This world loves its darkness. And we shine a light on that darkness, on that sin, on that depravity. I'm sorry. Read Romans 1. Paul is very, very clear in Romans 1 how twisted and perverse this world is, and it does not want us to shine a light on it or to point out that it is that perverse, that it is that, that negative, that bad. It doesn't want us to show clearly. It wants to act like all of this is normal. It really does. Um, case in point, and I, and I, I'm sorry, I've been going back through watching a series, um, that wife and I watched years ago and it's just something it's, it's nice, fun, comfortable viewing. But of course I came across an episode and this was early in this kind of stuff happening, but it, it, in this show, it tries to normalize a gay wedding and, and it's a woman pastor <laughs> who is obviously also gay trying to say that say that God just loves it when any two people show love for each other in this way and they try to normalize it. Well, that's this world, which is that what they're saying is totally against what the scripture st states and what the scripture says. We are to be obedient to God and God says clearly that's an abomination. Again, I'm not trying to go out and bash homosexuality. That's not the point. Again, it is an abomination. The Bible is clear about that. I'm not trying to bash those people. Believe me, the rest of us have enough sin as well. Okay, so their sin is not any worse than the rest of us. We all need Christ and we all need to turn from our sin. But again, trying to normalize it. I, I'm sorry, we were talking about it in Sunday school this morning. Um, there was an ad out um, for, for a new movie and it's got somebody in it that I actually have always kind of liked, thought she was very, very funny. Um, and, and it was some movie and it was kind of a genie or whatever. And, um, somebody's trying to inform her because she's been stuck, um, for thousands of years in, in, in her bottle or whatever it is that she, she's kept in as a genie. 
and um, they're trying to explain Christmas to her. And they make the comment that, that um, this is celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. And she, she's like, Oh, well, I know him. I've met him, you know, and yada, yada, yada. But it, it, it's a, it's a very, very crass view. I mean, it, it very much, there's no, we were talking about this morning. There's no fear of God because they normalize that they are, it is, they are so dark. Um, there are so many out there. I mean, particularly you see it in the entertainment industry that they have absolutely no fear of God. They, they don't care. They are so dark, but that's why they hate us. That's why they hate us because we show we uh, reflected reflected from us it exposes the depravity of the world and that's why they hate us because we aren't of them i mean that's what this verse says if you were of the world the world would love its own but because you are not of the world but i chose you out of the world because of this the world hates you colossians 1 13 speaking of jesus who rescued us from the authority of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the son of his love again when we're saved we're removed from that kingdom of darkness second timothy 2:26 and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do this do his will sorry hebrews 2:14 and 15 therefore since the children share in flesh and blood he himself talking of Christ likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death that's Satan that is the devil and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives subject to darkness uh, again we've got to understand that and and that's that's the thing we also have to be aware of the fact is if you start running across folks that are professing to be Christians and they are loved by this world, particularly loved, let's say loved by the entertainment industry, which is just, I'm, I'm sorry. I I've always loved movies and TV shows and stuff like that. Um, maybe more than I should have, but the fact is the entertainment industry, I'm not saying everybody in it, but a huge chunk of it, it is dark. It is dark and ugly and and degenerate and you know you name it so if you start seeing them loving those who profess out there in in the open that they are that that they are of christ that they are of god you better start questioning that and we better start questioning ourselves i i'm sorry i i expect when when i when i first was saved and then when i started feeling the call to preach and teach i was very very blunt with my mother now, I'll tell you, I'm in my 50s, so my mother's in her 80s. I was very, very blunt with my mother. I stated very clearly, Mom, do not be surprised if I get arrested for what I'm doing because I am going to speak the word of God. I will do my best. I will pray that the Holy Spirit helps me to hold firm as John and Peter were and thrown in jail for it and beaten for it, that I will be able to stand my ground that I, that I will be able to stand my ground and accept the hatred of the world because love of God has to come first. So that's the thing. I mean, Jesus is hated by the world. So we have to expect to be hated. We're going to be hated by the world because we're no longer the other world. Please don't ever misunderstand that. This is not our home. We are sojourners here. If you don't know what that means, we, we are visitors here. We are passing through here 
on our way to glory. Okay, this is not our stop. We're just passing through. Now, we are to do the work of the kingdom while we're here. It's not that we're not to care. And, and again, even though the world hates us, what that should tell us is the world is our mission field. The world is our mission field, and we have work to do. But we cannot be surprised that the world hates us because we are not of the world. Jesus has chosen us out of the world. God has chosen us out of the world. And because of that, that because that makes us alien to the world, because of that, the world hates us. And that's exactly where we should be. All right, that's going to do it for this evening. I thank you for spending this time with me. Um, I pray that this continues to help you um, grow in your understanding of the scriptures. Um, I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Uh, let's go ahead and close out with the second day evening prayer. It's called Bounty. Let's pray. Thou great and only potentate, thou hast made summer and winter, day and night. Each of these revolutions serves our welfare and is full of thy care and kindness. Thy bounty is seen in the relations that train us, the laws that defend us, the homes that shelter us, the food that builds us, the raiment that comforts us, the continuance of our health, members, senses, understanding, memory, affection, will. But as stars fade before the rising sun, thou hast eclipsed all these benefits in the wisdom and grace that purposed redemption by Jesus thy Son. Blessed be thy mercy that laid help on one that is mighty and willing one that is able to save to the uttermost. Make us deeply sensible of our need of his saving grace, of the blood that cleanses, of the rest he has promised. And impute to us that righteousness which justifies the guilty, gives them a title to eternal life and possession of the Spirit. May we love the freeness of salvation and joy in its holiness. Give us faith to grasp thy promises that are our hope. Provide for every exigency and prevent every evil. Keep our hearts from straying after forbidden pleasures. May thy will bind all our wishes. Let us live out of the world as to its spirit, maxim, manners, but live in it as the sphere of our action and usefulness. May we be alive to every call of duty, accepting without question thy determination of our circumstances and our service. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless. 